back to another episode of the Fast Break Lip NBA Podcast. It's your boy Samuel here. I got with me my boy, the official Romp. Check him out on YouTube. I had him on a couple episodes back. Say what's up to the people. What's up, man? How you doing? I am doing great. Let's talk some NBA. Um, So, today some news kind of hit us out of nowhere, I guess. Mm-hmm. with the LaMarcus Aldridge retirement, which was very weird because when I saw it, I was actually at work and I had just briefly looked at my watch, which showed me the notification. I was like, whoa, what's going on? So like, I, I'm my first thought was like, this probably has to be something health related. And then when I actually got a chance to look at my phone, I saw that it was, he had, he was dealing with an irregular heartbeat and he decided that like it, it really scared him and it, thank goodness he was able to get it checked out and see that it wasn't something that was like far too far gone um so thank goodness for that of course and wishing him the best i mean um he's had a pretty he's had a pretty underrated career when you actually look back at it um one of one of my um most memorable moments of at least seeing him play um was during that 2014 series against the Rockets where he, he just like yep. looked unstoppable and like they put Dwight, Ashik, Terrence Jones, no matter who they put on him, he was just giving them buckets and like they couldn't do anything to stop that man. But um yeah, how how do, how do you feel about LaMarcus Aldridge retirement and I guess like his looking back at his career and retrospective. Um, like you said, I'm glad he got that um checkup or whatever what made him realize about the irregular heartbeat. It's good to see. Um, it kind of was a wake up call for me because um I'm a Sixers fan and like when I saw all the Nets players out, I was like um oh come on Nets like come on. But then like knowing this, it's like you can't really judge players for sitting out because you really don't know what's going on. And yeah. I think it was a wake-up wake, wake up call for me in that regard. Just don't judge players too harshly. Um, but LaMarcus Aldridge, I have a tweet pulled up right here. He's like one of only 25 players in NBA history with 19,000 career points and 18,000 rebounds. Seven-time All-Star, five All-NBA, which is pretty insane. He's pretty underrated. I think he's underrated because he's not like anything flashy. He's kind of yeah. like – like he's not like a Kyrie Irving, you know what I'm saying? And he's not like Joel Embiid, like dribbling around like a, a seven footer. So I feel like that's why he's kind of got under the radar because he doesn't do crazy things. He's just really fundamentally sound. Yeah, for sure. And like one thing that kind of like, kind of like pushed him away, I guess, from being recognized as like such a top talent was like, I guess the shift in the game of basketball where like he like, like in that 2014 series, he was playing power forward next to Robert Lopez in the starting lineup. But like nowadays he, he would be the starting center. And that's something that he was really adverse to, especially in San Antonio. Like they really had to get, it really took them a while to get him to buy into playing the center spot. So like, I think that's one thing that like kind of like, shifted the um shifted the the um the perception of LaMarcus around the league because like as we saw like now he he like we saw now like he was getting like bullied in the paint by like Andre Drummond and like in like switch schemes he's not really able to he's not really the best defender in in, in switch situations where he has to come out and defend like guards and stuff in the, um, in the open floor. So it it was already really tough for him. Um, and like that shift kind of came out of nowhere. I think if we were still playing the way, like he was in 2014 and like, if we, if basketball still played the same way, I think he would probably, he would probably, he would be recognized more, um, he would he would be recognized the right way that he should have been recognized all along. Um, one thing that stood out to me, I have this tweet from our guy Noah. He put up this thread um about Lamarcus Aldridge. 
Um, and like he was a really good playoff performer. Um, three forty plus point playoff games, three eight thirty plus point playoff games, and twenty four twenty point twenty plus point playoff games. So like he 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 always showed up in the playoffs. He was he was always a sc- he was always able to score and dominate in that fashion. So I mean, he'll probably make the Hall of Fame. Right, probably. Yeah. So, I mean, shout out to Lamarcus on uh, a plentiful career and wishing him the best of luck going forward. Um, I know if the Nets win this year, he'll probably also receive championship ring. So that would probably, yeah, that would be good for him. Yeah. Um, moving on to. Continuing with the Nets, I guess we can stay here. Your Sixers took on the Nets last night, and it was looking like a blowout for most of it, I guess. Yeah, it was looking like a blowout for at least like most of the third and then like a good portion of the fourth. And then all of a sudden, the (laughs) Long Island Nets started a comeback without Kyrie Irving, without Joe Harris. There was already no Kevin Durant, of course, no LaMarcus, no Blake no Harden. It was like Shamit, TLC, mm-hmm. Claxton. Um, I forget who else was on the floor at the time. I think Jeff Green maybe was on the court too. But it was really a squad that like if most contenders were playing against them, they would probably have them on the ropes just as you did. But it seems that you guys kind of like let go of the gas. Um... I, I was able to catch that part because I was like flipping between channels of like watching my Knicks and then watching that game because I was interested to see what would happen. Um, but yeah, it seems like you guys just let go, let off the gas. Um, your the team's defensive intensity like dropped all the way. It wasn't there all night. It wasn't there, but there was like glimpses during that like run where you guys were like extending the lead. Yeah, yeah. Like they like I remember there was this play where um. Ben Simmons caught a pa- pass in the passing lane, came in for a dunk. I remember that play specifically. But there were moments that you guys showed the defensive intensity, but it it wasn't there all night because, like, the Nets were just getting whatever they wanted, basically. And Kyrie was having his way with um, Matisse and Simmons and whoever else they put on him. So, I mean... One thing I would have liked for, to see from the Sixers is at least throw some doubles his way because I noticed that when my Knicks played them, at least the last time we played them, one thing that worked was getting the ball out of Kyrie's hands very early in the clock late in the game because he'll either – one time he threw a pass out of bounds. um, The other time he threw the pass to someone else and he didn't really get the ball back so the, the Nets didn't score. But that's that that only works when they're playing without like Harden or Kevin Durant. So. Yeah. But um, what did you think of your team's performance against the Nets? I know this is probably like an Eastern Conference playoff um, preview, but yeah. Yesterday, I, I kind of was not watching too in-depthly because I could tell like the Sixers, they weren't really there mentally because they were p- probably pissed off with all the Nets players not playing. So they were kind of just coasting, and then they got that big lead. As you said, the defensive intensity picked up to get that lead, and Bede was playing like himself. But other than Embiid, Tobias had a good game. Ben was kind of just there like usual. <laughs> but um, I didn't really look too deeply into them coming back because Doc just kind of took them out too early. I think it was a mismanagement by him. And it happens. The the foot the pedal was – they took their foot off the pedal, I'm trying to say. And they let him back in it. And the Nets were playing like G League guys. So, you know, they're, they're going 110% trying to make a name for themselves while the Sixers when Embiid got back in you could kind of tell like he was like oh I don't want to get injured um so they that that I'm I'm not taking too much from that game but what did scare me towards the end of the game I don't know if you saw this um Ben Simmons was bringing the ball up the court and they were literally not even guarding him they were just doubling Embiid and as he was passing to Embiid Embiid was already doubled and, like, right there is just a scary feeling for me as a Sixers fan because I know um, the better Eastern Conference opponents are going to double Embiid every single time they can. They're not going to care 
about Ben Simmons because he's a liability on offense and you got to put him in the short corner because if he's not if he's at the top of the key um teams are going to double him like the Nets were doing and those were freaking G League guys they had the awareness to do that so imagine if you're playing against real NBA players um that's the thing that scares me but I think the adjustment to that is putting George Hill at the point guard or Shake Milton and then just send Ben Simmons into the short corner <laughs> where maybe he can get an offensive board. But that's what scares me about the Sixers, the half-court offense, and Ben Simmons. That's my only only problem with the Sixers right now. Yeah, they. I noticed they were feeding Embiid a lot in the post late in the game. And someone on Twitter was saying, like, this style of ball isn't going to work in 2021, especially with – when you have a guy like Ben Ben Simmons on the court, like you said, where they were just like completely ignoring him, they're just gonna double him every time in the post. And I I'm not sure if Embiid is that type of player where like nah, he can pass out of double teams. Really, yeah, exactly. I don't think he's really that good of a pass out of double teams. I mean, I noticed on my team itself, Julius Randle, he gets doubled a lot in the post, and he's actually become a little a lot better over the year from um passing out of the double team so i feel like that's something that you have to work on he can make the easy pass but he can't make like the cross court pass like he has a couple times this year he has improved his passing but it's not like Jokic level so you could still double him yeah like even julius randall sometimes he gets like caught in like those doubles and then sometimes he gets a turnover but like he is able to make that cross court pass that a lot of guys aren't to, aren't able to make, and that's something that I couldn't say of him last year. So I feel like maybe that's something Embiid would probably have to work on. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I I was also concerned myself just because um not seeing Doc really make any adjustments down the stretch kind of gave me like flashbacks to those Clippers Nuggets games in the bubble last year where it was just like Doc is just like letting his team get killed and it's just like do something please i mean yeah. like like it was it was just it was just weird so i don't know but maybe... i feel like this game was like you're playing the nets g league team just get it together that's why i think he didn't make adjustments because he didn't even put tobias harris back in because he said tobias was kind of limping and he was like we could beat them without him so i feel like that had to do with it but yeah definitely more adjustments would have been nice yeah and i mean um you probably definitely didn't want to have and Bede come back in there, especially after that weird landing. I think it was in like the second yeah, you quarter. You see that it was. brace on him, bro? Yeah, it's a really big brace. So like after How's he seeing doing him, what he's doing? <laughs> yeah, I, I have no idea. But yeah, it probably was probably concerning to a lot of you Sixers fans that were probably like, man, we had this game in the bag and now we have to bring Embiid off the shelf when we could have gave him a nice little rest. Um, But yeah, um, on the net side of things, the one thing about the Nets, like a lot of a lot of people make a big deal um of their defense. Cause yeah, that is that is one problem that they do have. <laughs> they do give up a whole lot of points. I mean, my Knicks are one of the more putrid offenses in the league, and we were still able to get well over hundred and ten a couple times on them. So their defense is really bad. Um it's it's improved over like the course of the season, but it's still not where you want a contender's defense level to be. And a lot of people think that their offense will be too overwhelming for teams to keep up, so it wouldn't even matter for their defense. Um, I rebuttal that with things slow down in the playoffs. And, of course, you need chemistry. That's one thing that the Clippers lacked last year. Um they had this overwhelming amount of talent, but they didn't have chemistry. And that was one of the big reasons why things kind of fell apart in the bubble as well as the adjustments. But it was also the team's um, chemistry. They didn't have enough games with each other under their belt. I mean, granted, they did play more games than the Brooklyn, the Brooklyn squad have played with each other, but it still wasn't enough. They played like 56 total combined games, I think it was, or something like that. But um, the Nets big three has only played like seven games together. I think it is. So chemistry is something that's key in the playoffs. Um, And sure, they can have all the talent in the world, but I think you still need that chemistry. Um, How do you feel about the Nets and like their players? I know 
um I know a lot of a lot has been made a big deal of them missing games. I mean, some of them are actual injured, but some of them are just like resting. But like, how do you feel that plays into like their chemistry, like in the playoffs? I think personally, it's huge. Like, there's like uh, there's still they still haven't answered the question: who's going to get the ball down the stretch of a game, like in a meaningful game? Like, they still haven't answered that, and they haven't really hit any adversity, like. What's going to happen when they lose a playoff game? In my eyes, is Kyrie going to get mad because he didn't get the ball? Is James Harden going to get mad? Like, that's what scares me about the Nets. And as a, as a Sixers fan, I'm I'm gonna be real. Like, I'm not I'm not necessarily scared of the Nets because what we have, they don't like. We have elite defense when we are locked in. We have Joel Embiid. Last year, Joel Embiid averaged thirty in the playoffs, and he was pretty bad that series. And the spacing was terrible. So imagine what he's going to do against DeAndre Jordan. Now they don't have Aldridge. So they got a lot of question marks. And I feel like we are going to be the underdogs in that series. So the pressure is going to be on them. The pressure isn't going to be on Philly because the Nets got everyone now. You know what I'm saying? So I'm not really scared of the Nets. Like, I think we could lose them, obviously. But I think we match up pretty well, like... You got Ben Simmons. I would put Ben Simmons on Harden, kind of switch him around, put him on Harden, put him on KD. And I think Tobias Harris, honestly, I think he could give KD a little trouble. He's not going to stop him. But for possessions, I would probably put Ben Simmons on James Harden because James Harden creates for others while KD just kind of scores. He's not really a playmaker. I think James Harden does everything for them. So I want to see Ben Simmons on James Harden. And then you got Joel Embiid in the middle, who's going to take away a lot of things. So I think I think people are under, under underestimating the Sixers, in my opinion. Yeah, I am definitely still on the Sixers can beat the Nets train. I'm also on the Bucks that Bucks can beat the Nets train. I feel like any team that has like a dominant, I mean, look what Andre Drummond did. And Andre Drummond is like, I've been on like the Andre <laughs> Drummond slander train. Because, like, he is one of the worst finishing bigs I've ever seen. And he was making, like, quick work of their bigs down low. And it was just, like, like, is Andre Drummond, like, what? If Andre Drummond is going to do that, imagine what Giannis is going to do. Giannis has improved his inside game. He's improved his footwork in the post and whatnot. He's he's worked on things. Like, he's not the same Giannis from last year. Um, I also don't think that the Nets have the capable. People are like, oh, build the wall. Um, show me the defenders on the Nets that are capable of building a wall. For They're you to build Katie, a wall against Kyrie, Giannis, Harden. yeah, exactly. For you to build a wall against Giannis, you have to have the personnel first. Then you can implement the strategy. You can't implement the strategy without the personnel, and that's one thing that bothers me when people say that stuff. So Giannis, I feel like Giannis could have his way down low in the paint. He's improved greatly. They also have Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton who have provided um ample uh, um backup for him. Um, as well as like DiVincenzo, at, uh, getting PJ Tucker, I feel was also huge because it helps see them play a little, not really small ball because Giannis is like, um, Giannis is like six eleven, seven foot, so it's not really small ball, but it still allows them to play Giannis at the five, which is something I've been waiting for the Bucks to like exploit for a while. Maybe it just took getting this trade done, mm-hmm. but yeah, I feel like the Bucks give them tr- trouble, and I also feel like the Sixers could give them trouble because you know Embiid. If Embiid is like really healthy, completely healthy for that series, um, you guys have the you have you guys have a de- a good amount of like people that you can throw to defend those guys. Of course, you guys aren't gonna stop them, but like, yeah, you guys can bother them to the point where, um, you make things more difficult for them. Um, to your point about the the last shot of the game, I feel like that's very interesting because like even in the games that they did play some of those games did come down to like where they needed a last shot. Like I remember there was a game game against um Cleveland. It was, they went to like double overtime or something. It was, mm-hmm. and it was James Harden didn't get the ball a lot down the stretch. Um, It was more like Katie and Kyrie getting theirs. So like James Harden turned more into a facilitator down the stretch. So, 
and we already know from his Houston days, like he kind of like shrinks away from those bigger moments. Um, I kind of even saw it myself in our game, uh, in our game against them, where it was Kyrie and Harden both playing against us. And it was Kyrie doing most of the damage down the stretch. Like it wasn't James Harden. So like, I, I, I generally don't worry about James Harden really contributing much except for like playmaking towards the end of the games and like providing that extra spacing. But other than that, I really don't worry about him. Um, that may be a hot take to some or whatever, but I think we've all seen enough James Harden to know that like big moments cause him to shrink a bit and being with two other superstars will definitely minimize the, uh, the damaging effects of that. I feel, um, but yeah, I am, I'm, I mean, a lot of people are still concerned about the Sixers because, you know, everyone likes to make overreactions to regular season games. (laughs) It's the fun thing to do these days, but I, I still want to see them in a playoff setting. Um, Ben Simmons had an interesting quote the other day, actually, too. Oh, God. I, hate this. <laughs> I hate this, bro. Because it wasn't the wrong message. It was just, I think, the wrong messenger. Because yes. <laughs> we all know what, what Ben Simmons has done in playoff opportunities in the past. And it's very interesting because he will bring it defensively, but it's a matter of like, can you score enough to help the Sixers beat the net so that way that you can exploit this issue of their defense? Because if you can't exploit their issue of defense, then it doesn't really matter. Because like, if someone else had said, if like, even if Giannis had said what he what Ben Simmons said, I think people wouldn't have had the reaction that they did. Bro, you you can't be saying that stuff when you were averaging like ten points in the month of April. You just you can't be doing that. You haven't improved enough to say anything. Like if Embiid said that, I would be fine with it. If Tobias said it, like at least they have improved this year. Like Simmons is, oh man, I, I think it's his last year in Philly. I'm going to be real. If we lose, he's gone. Because, I mean, you see Joel Embiid, he's, he's like going for the defensive player of the year thing too. And he kind of called out Simmons um the other day and he was like, Simmons got to make people guard him. He basically said that. That was the um, message of the quote. So I think Ben Simmons' days are numbered if we don't win the East because fans are sick of him in Philly. Um, and he just hasn't improved enough. And honestly, like when he's off the court, the spacing is so much better. It and is. like, I don't know. I, I think Joel Embiid's the best defender on the Sixers, in my opinion. I've been as a Sixers fan saying he's the defensive player of the year. Everyone says I'm a Simmons hater, but um, the the impact um, Embiid has in the middle of the paint, even without Simmons, I think the Sixers would be an above average um, defensive team. So that's why I'm kind of leaning towards getting a real point guard, because if you look at Embiid's career, he hasn't had a real point guard and a real point guard can make a lot of difference. Like imagine CP3, Instead of Ben Simmons on the Sixers, Oof, I think that, we win the championship easily. That would be something special. But um, yeah, I mean, Ben Simmons. I mean, it's it it is it, funny because like even the quote about him being the defensive player of the year, a lot of people didn't like that, and I think it's because I don't know if it's because of the scoring thing, but it like a lot of people were just like. It gives off shades of like Rudy Gobert when he was crying about the All Star game. I, I don't, I, I don't see the parallels there, but like, I mean, the I feel like the media just asked him a question, and he just answered it. A lot of people just took that out of context, I guess, or whatever, and felt like he was just saying it out of nowhere. But I think a lot of the Simmons defensive love comes from his versatility to guard like one through five. So I think that's why a lot of people favor him as the defensive player of the year more than like. Um and Embiid because Embiid is like seen more of this just like an anchor down low, so mm-hmm. a lot of people favor that one through five versatility th- these days. Especially, I think that's the reason. That's part of the reason why Giannis won it, um, last year because he showed that type of versatility to guard like one through five. So, but I'm gonna be real. I watch every Sixers game, and there's there's nights where Ben Simmons is kind of falling asleep on defense. It's like and I don't. Embiid's not going to get it. Obviously, I I just am biased towards him because he's my favorite player. But 
And B, dude, he can switch on anyone, and I'm confident. Like, he switched on Kyrie last um last night, and he stopped him. So, like, when Embiid's healthy and, like, wants to switch, like, I, I believe he, he shut down Giannis in the past before, too. Giannis has gotten the better of him as well, but Embiid can guard anyone when he's healthy and wants to because there's nights where he does the drop coverage because we're playing a lesser opponent, and he doesn't really care, but... I don't know. Simmons, this I, I think this defense thing is getting a little overrated. Like he's great, don't get me wrong, but it's getting ridiculous. Like so you, you you gotta translate that defensive energy to the offensive end of the floor. You know? Yeah, I totally agree. Um Um speaking of MVP, um since we're talking about Embiid. <laughs> Today's they released um ESPN's MVP straw poll and Jokic got a whopping 90 out of 101 first place votes. How are you feeling about that? Um I guess I mean he's played every game so if you're going off of that then yeah. It's cool but Denver's fourth in the West. I mean Jokic is great, so I can't really take anything away from him. But yeah. I think, I mean, if you look at Embiid's season, he's been unbelievable. It's just, it's just weird to me how, like, you know, like James Harden was in the discussion and he missed like <laughs> the first fifteen games just quitting on his team, and then Embiid misses like two weeks and he's like completely out of it. And even LeBron is getting more love than him now. I don't, I don't get it, but it is what it is. Um, for some reason, he's just completely out of it, which I don't think is right. The Sixers are the best team in the East, and they've shown that um, record-wise. You could say the Nets are better if you want to, but I think it's still a race. If Embiid finishes out strong, I, I think there's going to be voters, and you got to keep in mind, Embiid does it on both ends of the floor. So yeah, that's all that's- I got to say. Yeah, that is one thing to take into consideration as well. I think Embiid just needs like that one signature performance to like really like remind remind people because we only have like a couple weeks left in the season, so he needs like one signature moment just to remind everybody, refresh everybody's memory because he was out for a couple weeks. And you know the NBA's NBA's um memory is very short term; they only remember the here and now. They don't remember what you what you were doing for the the whole year, for at least the moment. So, yeah. Um, speaking of the Nuggets, unfortunately, they did lose Jamal Murray to a torn ACL. I think we all know when we saw that injury happen that it was probably the ACL that was turn that was torn just based on like the way he looked and we know that he just missed the previous four games with knee soreness and probably overcompensation or just playing too many minutes i thought that he shouldn't have even been in the game because they were down and it was like basically garbage time it was like 50 seconds left and they were down by nine i don't think there was a chance they're really gonna win that game and i don't think he should have been in there and yeah it, it sucks because jamal murray was having his best year of his career um and the nuggets really looked like they were going to be a team that could come out the west of up eventually so um that led to a discussion a, a lot of talk on twitter especially about um just like the this season um how condensed it is how much of a factor that is playing into the players injuries um a lot of people have also referenced in the past, including myself, um, the 2011-12 season, which was which was very condensed, um, 66-game season. There was a lot of back-to-backs, a lot of four three four games in like six nights, five games in six in six nights. Like there was a lot of that stuff in 2011-12. It also resulted in a lot of guys um being hurt come playoff time. My Knicks, especially, we lost two guys to devastating knee injuries in the playoffs in the first round. The Bulls lost Derrick Rose and Joe Keep Noah, of course, which led to their upset. So, and even the Heat, 
they they didn't have Chris Bosh for a good portion of that playoff run. So I mean, we've seen this play out before, um, especially even in 1999. That was a really condensed season. There were like triple back to backs where there was like back to back to backs. Um, games teams would play like so many games in like one in a one month time frame. It was ridiculous back then. A lot of injuries. My Knicks, of course, by playoff time, Patrick Ewing had torn his Achilles or whatever, or whatever it was. So, like, we've seen this story play out before in the NBA, and it's it's weird how they just keep doing these condensed seasons. Of course, um, this season was already weird because of the COVID protocols and people missing games because of that. But one thing I found interesting was that in the article that was recently published about like the NBA's general concerns about the season and taking a toll on the players' bodies was that they said that through 50 games, the number was either less than or at the same rate. Like Players have missed games at the same rate that they've been missing games for the past five seasons. So I found that very interesting as well. So how how do you feel about this whole condensed season and like the injuries and 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 everything that's just been all the discourse that's been going around around about it? Um, I think the back to backs are really the problem. I, I don't I don't really have a problem with the condensed season. There's just too many back to backs. Um, I I think that has a lot to do with the injuries. But at the same time, like you look at the Jamal Murray injury. That could happen whenever. I think it's just based on luck, yeah. and that's just like the truth of it. Like injuries can happen whenever, and if you kind of look at who's injured, like Anthony Davis has had injury issues in the past. Embiid has too. LeBron really hasn't, obviously. But yeah, that was the one the weirder injured. one. Yeah, a lot of people injured have injury issues, and that's kind of what happens. You saw that last year with the with the Heat. They just kind of got injured towards the end in the finals and they were coming off a lot of rest because the season was put on hold and then they came back and unfortunately Dragic got injured and all that. So I think it's just like luck. So I think people are kind of overreacting. I think the back-to-backs are a little ridiculous. That's why I don't get too mad at people resting, but on national TV games, it's kind of annoying. Like, cause you're seeing like, G League players versus um, all-star players. But, I mean, back-to-backs, you got to rest your players um, at this point in the new NBA. But at the same time, it's just the luck of the getting injured, you know? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think it's, it's, it's more of the perception of the season that has caused people to be upset because, of course, teams are playing like eight games in 12 nights. Mm-hmm. seven games in 10 nights it's like really ridiculous like there's like a back-to-back almost like every point of the way and a lot of it has to do with actually teams having their games postponed in the first half because of protocols and not having the right amount of players and whatnot so that's that's the, that's a big reason of the back-to-backs so it's kind, it was kind of inevitable that they were back-to-backs in the second half of the season for a lot of teams um but yeah, like I said before, it's like the perception of the season because there's so much going on. It gives off the perception that there are more injuries when it's actually not. It's actually about the same as before. Like there hasn't been a point this season where I mean, I think it's more annoying because it's a lot of stars getting hurt. Maybe in the previous years, it was like role players and secondary players that were getting hurt more so you didn't really see stars but even in the past there were still stars that were like out for extended periods of time like even last year we had Kyrie out for most of the year Katie was out the whole year like we've had stars we had Clay miss all of last year Steph missed most of last year there were a lot of injuries last year and like there was no one really saying oh man screw the NBA schedule that's what caused all these injuries so, I mean, injuries are always happening. And one thing that also that contributes to these injuries, I tweeted about it um, last night, was um, these players, they're constantly training nonstop. Like, their schedules, even in the offseason, they don't give their bodies a legit enough time to rest, I think. And also, I read something about 
I read an article about like the way kids are starting high level training in sports at such an early age also contributes to them getting injuries earlier. So like I think all those factors and the way te- and the way players are just like training nonstop, nonstop. I feel like those also contribute to the the, the sudden rise in injuries because I know over the last like five years we've seen like a a boom in like players getting injured and like ha- having severe injuries too, like not just like knickknacks but like torn torn ACLs, Achilles. I mean we. There was a whole thing where, like, it was like Boogie got a torn Achilles. John Wall had a torn Achilles off a home incident. Like, these things just happen. And it's just like this season, of course, it like really stinks that a lot of stars are missing games. But I think, like, the perception of it is just being skewed because a lot of people just aren't enjoying the season. And, and uh, since a lot of stars are missing it due to injury, and look, the way the season is so tightly condensed, I, I mean, I feel like this, the, all of that is just a, a mixture, a combination for just what's going on right now. Yeah. Um, I don't really understand, like, the, oh, screw the NBA. These schedules are terrible. Like, what are they supposed to do? At the end of the day, it's like a business. They're going to – they're trying to get back on, like, normal path um, since COVID. So this what's it was kind of had to be a condensed schedule. Like it was inevitable. It just, yeah. It is what it is. It's, it's a business. Like you can't. And the funny thing is all the people complaining, if they didn't have any NBA games, they would be still complaining. So it's like, it's like um, people are going to complain no matter what. That's, that's the thing of it. I've been enjoying the NBA season, especially since the Sixers are doing so well. I mean, of course it's the year where, um, everyone's um struggling that the Sixers have their best year. It just makes total sense. So <laughs> I, it's same been with, my same favorite. Same with my Knicks. Same yeah, it's my been Knicks. my favorite NBA season, bro. <laughs> like, I've been enjoying it. Um, I think they should just reduce the schedule, but that will never happen because money. But I of think course. they should make it like um 48 games. <laughs> like, oh, wow. Really short because every game would mean something. But you could say that would – that would cause more injuries because players would be playing harder because like this um, little road that we're going down towards the end of the season is just the worst. Like the last 20 games, like it's pretty boring, especially when you play like bad teams. Well, obviously you're Knicks fan, so your games mean way more. Yeah. We're trying to get like seating. Yeah. Yeah. When the Sixers play like um, the wizards, it's like, Oh, like why even play Embiid? Why even, risk it why even play Ben Simmons? yeah I mean you those are the, those are the games you can rest your guys though I mean yeah. for for my Knicks we kind of can't rest dudes down the stretch because we're like I I think they want to avoid the playing situation because I mean the playing is just a whole nother thing within itself because you have like for example like the Bulls they're like 10 games below 500 they have been awful and what if they get hot for two games and then boom, they're in the playoffs? Like, yeah. so I mean, I guess we can tr- transition now into the play-in topic. Of course, this week, um, Luca and the and and Mark Cuban they were very vocal and adamant about their stance on the play-in game. Um, a lot of people think they just saw Steph go off recently and they're, they're kind of shook to, to shook in their boots right now because I would be they know, they know Steph is coming to get that playoff spot and they got no one to stop him because he put up 57 on them earlier this year. So, I mean, but yeah, he, I mean, what's funny to me is Mark Cuban was one of the, the more vocal people about being in support of the play-in game. He thought it was a great idea. And I think he anticipated that his Mavericks would be nowhere near this situation where they wouldn't even have to deal with a play-in situation. So he was like, all right, we'll have this plan, but I don't have to worry about my Mavericks being in it. Luca probably thought the same thing. They came out, they struggled to start the season. Here they are in the seven, eight spot, probably going to have to play Memphis or Golden State, whoever moves up to that spot. And if 
I mean, Luca probably knows. He's seen Steph up close. He 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 knows that boy can do some damage against his Mavs. He's already done it before this year. So, the and the Mavericks have no one to stop him. So, I mean, I'm in support of the play-in, but I have this one thing where I'm like, if a team is like too many games far back where they can make a real difference, then the play-in should not happen. Like the play-in should be something that sparks if a team is like three games behind. But if not, no plan. That's my stance on it, but I'm generally in favor of the plan because it engages more fan bases. Like you're seeing teams that would probably start tanking months ago. They're in it because they know they have they they somewhat still have a chance. And like this is the most effective way to reduce the tanking because changing the lotto odds does not mean nothing. Like teams can still get lucky um or unlucky um and still get in so and still get a, t- a good pick so it's like it, that didn't reduce tanking but this increases the competitiveness of the games so that way teams aren't thinking about tanking too much like we, we're, we're only seeing like a couple teams like really go all in on tanking and that's because they're like pretty far away from the um they're pretty far away from the the play-in games if not at the bottom of their conference already. So there's that. But I do think the plan is a general generally a good idea. And like to 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 Luca's point like if you're so worried about winning one game or just two games to get in, just win those one or two games. It shouldn't be that hard if you're that good. Um how do you feel about that the 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 plan situation? I think the playing game is amazing because it brings that March Madness feel and I I'm not even lying. I think there's going to be I think the play-in's going to be more entertaining than most playoff series because it has that aspect of um winner takes all and you're going to see Twitter be going wild if it's a close game. So, um all the people complaining about it now are going to be loving it in a few weeks because when the game um like it's it's a game 7 essentially and game 7s are just like must-watch TV and it brings that um, to the NBA, it's going to bring in more viewers, I think, um, because it actually means something. And like you said, teams aren't like the Bulls. Uh, I feel like they might have just like not traded for Vucevic, even though it's not working out and probably would have tanked the rest of the season. But now they're trying to get in it because they have a chance of at this plan. But I think it's a great thing. And Mark Cuban was for it. And now he's not for it simply because um, his team could be out because um their team is pretty trash, if I'm being honest. But Luca, I'm going to be real. I would not want to face him in the playoffs because we saw what he did last year. But the play-in, I think it's, I think it's an amazing thing. Yeah, I mean, like, even if my Knicks were, like, not as good as they were, I think they'd still have a chance at the play-in. And that would keep me engaged because I know my team still has a chance. So, like... I mean, like, even, like, Raptors fans, like, this year, like, they're still debating, like, should we tank? Should we go for the play-in? <laughs> like, there's that there's that duality in, like, mindsets of, like, fans, like, they're still engaged in the season because they know there's still a chance. So I feel like that drives interest in the league. Um, but, yeah, like I said, with my one caveat with it is just it shouldn't happen if a team is, like, four or, like, five games behind. Like, it should be, like... Three. If a team, if if the nine and ten seed are like three games behind the eight seed, then let's have the play in. But like in the case of the Bulls, I mean the Bulls will probably <laughs> lose anyways because they just are like bad. So like, I'm not really worried all too much. But like, say they were to get hot and win a couple of those games, then like, and then they get into the playoffs, it would be kind of weird. And I know that team that got eliminated would feel kind of kind of feel like the season was a waste because like they made all this effort to get where they were and now they got eliminated. But I mean, Hey, that's just the way the the ball rolls in the NBA. That's what happens when you're at the end of the conference, you know? Yep. And speaking of the bulls, they did make a, like you said, they did make that Vucevic trade. I came on here last episode and I talked with, my guy Chris, um, about 
how I didn't understand the Bulls making this move, and I also didn't like it because it just reeked of desperation. And I don't think that this is going to help you keep Zach Levine in 2022 when he's a free agent. I just don't. So, and it's not working out for them, of course. They, they've been, they only won like three games, I think, since the trade. And they've been pretty bad of recent. They've lost four straight. Um, Kobe White and Larry Markkinen have kind of turned into scapegoats, but I mean, kind of rightfully so because they are kind of bad. So there's that. But like, I also think that that the the timelines of Vucevic and Zach Levine just don't match up with like the rest of the team as well because like the rest of the team is. Like it's a it's a mix of like guys who were just recently drafted and like a lot of uh, and like some other vets that have been in the league a couple years. So it's like it's a weird mix of guys and like there's like no defense either. Like they're just letting teams score on them at will. I mean, just the other day they had the Magic beat them and the Magic put up like over 110 points and the Magic are one of the worst teams in the league right now. So you letting them do that to you when you're trying to fight for a playing game is just crazy to me. Um, so how do you feel about the Bulls and like just overall what's been going on over there? It's very weird. Like it seems like um, Wendell Carter is just a different type of player over in Orlando, and Vucevic all of a sudden he's been doing pretty well, but. It isn't resulting in winning. I don't. I don't know what's going in going with Chicago. Honestly, I think they should just blow everything up and just like. But the thing is, they've been trying to do that for years now. It's like they're in like a weird, <laughs> weird state because they committed to the winning now because they traded for Vucevic. So now they can't tank. It just it was a desperation move. Now that I think about it, and it was a weird move and it was unnecessary, in my opinion, and. I don't think I don't think Zach Levine is going to stay, but if he does, uh, I don't know. I don't know where it's going. Like Larry Markkinen's not looking too good. Kobe White kind of reeks, and it just seems like everything in Chicago. There might be a front office issue going on. They just made a coaching change that ain't working out. So I don't I don't know what the answer is because it seems like nothing's working. Yeah, it's very weird. I f- it, it gives off the vibes that the team was kind of almost pressured into making a now move, even though they weren't even close to even a playoff, a regular playoff spot. So it was weird because, like, we we, we expected Vucevic to somewhat elevate their, 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 their team, but it hasn't resulted into that. And they're 22 and 32 now. Their last 10 games, they've went three and seven. They're on a four-game losing streak. Zach Levine just recently entered health and safety protocols. He's going to be out for a good portion of time, and we assume that they're probably going to fall in the standings, which kind of allows Toronto to make up their mind and fully go in for the the last spot in the play-in. But, yeah, I just don't understand the, the Bulls thinking there was no there was really no need to um to make the Vucevic move. It it almost was like they were it's almost like the front office made this job for their for their jobs to save their jobs kind of which was which seems kind of ridiculous because the front office just got hired, the coaching staff just got hired and you're already giving up on Wendell Carter Jr. who didn't get a chance to work with this staff in depth, I guess. And you see over there, he's thriving in Orlando. He's being but able to play more free. good, too. Yeah. Oh, my God. So, like, I mean, if Kobe White and, and Larry Marketing end up on a different team and end up looking better than they have now, it's going to be an indictment on the Chicago Bulls um, and what they got going on over there. And, yeah, I just don't understand. Like, even, like, like Kobe White, like he's struggled, but I also think he's miscast because he's playing point guard and like he's, he's more guard. of an uh, he's he's not a point guard. He's an undersized two guard. So, and you can't be playing two 
two shooting guards in your backcourt. Like that just that just automatically I don't know. And then Patrick Williams of late has been not good because they haven't been like giving him the opportunities to like score, I guess, which is very weird. <clears throat> he's their future. You know, what yeah, I'm he's saying? their future and you want to invest in him. So it's weird that they don't want to like I don't but now know. they got Zach Levine at 26. He got um Bujovic at 30. And Patrick Williams is like 19, not ready to win whatsoever. So it's like weird. Like I think in re- retrospect, you go back to the trade deadline. You don't make that move. And in my opinion, I think you have to move Zach Levine at this point. Because I love Zach Levine. He's a great player, but he's not a number one on a championship team. If he were to win a championship, he would be the second or third option in my opinion. So I think you have to move him um, to get younger players so it matches up in the timeline, uh, get some picks back for Levine and maybe a young stud. Because Levine, let's just be real, he's not going to be a franchise-changing player. Like, if he's in the right situation, he can win a championship as a second option. But with Chicago, he's not going to take them to the next level, and it's just wasting time at this point. So why not just blow it up and tank? That that's just my um truth to the Bulls. Yeah, Is that that's fair? Yeah, and um that's kind of the same mindset I had about Orlando this year. I was like I was like Orlando, they just need to stop being this middling team. We know what their ceiling is. They're going to be an 8th seed probably at the best or 7th seed. Be a first round out in like 4 or 5 games and then they'll be right back at it the next year. So I was extremely happy to see them move on. Vucevic, so... Fournier, Gordon. Like, I was so thrilled to see them move on from those guys. And we see those guys are doing, most for the most part, they're doing well in their respective spots. But, um, yeah, the Bulls should have been one of those teams. I mean, your ceiling is only so low with Vucevic and Levine as your one and two. And, like, What's their big plan this 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 free agency? Are they going to throw a bag at Lonzo Ball? And like, is that supposed to be? Dude, their timelines are like the time so exactly. Erratic. That's my thing. The timelines are so weird with the Bulls because they have players that are all on different timelines, and it just like doesn't make things easy. Like again, compared I, to my Knicks, we <laughs> have most most of our guys are on like we got like our vets who are here on like what cheap one to two year deals and then we have like a a collection of young guys who are all around the same age and are going to be our future moving forward you got julius Randle, who's 26 he's not that old like he's like zach levine's age but like most of the other guys on the knicks they are they are developing on a path where they can be complementary to him in like in in fewer in fewer years than it would take more for other guys like see for the bulls like they have guys who have been like lowry's been in the league for like what three four years now still isn't really contributing much to the Bulls' success or lack thereof but yeah i mean it's just a weird situation over there in chicago um this year they gave their pickup to the bull to the magic it's top four protected it will probably convey to the magic they gave their pickup yeah they don't have their pick this year yeah they gave it up in the vucevic deal oh no (laughs) dude (laughs) i don't understand like dude i'm so proud of the magic for tanking because they were just getting molly whopped by the um, bucks every year for the one and eight seed um in the playoffs and i'm like dude just commit to tanking you're gonna be happy it it might be five years of um, just the worst time of your life, but honestly, those are kind of fun years. I think you could relate as a Knicks fan. I'm a Sixers fan, um, and those years, low key, bro, with no, no expectations, expectations, no, no expectations. expectations, bro. It's fun voting for TJ McConnell. You know, it's it's a good time. So, and now in today's NBA, they don't give a damn about tanking. When the Sixers did it, we had to, we were in trouble, you know, but. Now that Sam Presti's doing it, he's like the the godfather of the NBA, you know? But when Sam Hinkie was doing it, he was like, oh, get out of the league. So, like, tanking is allowed now because of the Sixers. We'll take credit for that. 
So just do it because you're going to get a player like Joel Embiid eventually or RJ Barrett, you know what I'm saying? So it's worth tanking. It, it It's not fun being in the middle of the pack because I remember as a Sixers fan when they had Evan Turner, Drew Holiday. Those were so – they were terrible years. I mean, they were fun at the time, but looking back at them, we're just going in the playoffs to get our butt whooped. It's not yeah. going to get us anywhere. Tanking yeah. is worth it. And like, look at the look at the Magic now. They have like a team of young guys that could potentially yes. be fun next year when they're all healthy. You got Cole Anthony, Mo Bamba, Wendell Carter Jr., R.J. Hampton, Fultz when he when he fully when he's fully healthy, Jonathan Isaac, Chuma Okiki. Ooh. That's a fun group of young guys that can all grow together on the same timeline. And what are the Bulls? And they have, have no expectations. And now the Bulls are rushing to make the play in to get eliminated by whoever's the the ninth seed, if it's Indiana or wh- whoever it is. They're rushing just to get eliminated. And like I just don't I just don't get it. I don't know if the ownership was rushing them to do this move or what it was. I mean, they just hired a new regime and it feels like they're already being rushed to win now because of Zach Levine's free agency. I can't get over that pick. I yeah. can't believe they giving did up that. a pick. I thought this it was like an, um, is, for twenty twenty two or something. Nope, is this year and in two thousand twenty three's first, I believe as well. No, 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 two first it, rounds. <laughs> it yeah, it was two first round picks. It was similar to the Porzingis deal that we did. It was like a young player and picks for um a young player um and picks for um a, a veteran. Damn, bro. That's I feel bad for Chicago fans. They're expecting Zach Levine to be like James Harden, you know, lead your team to the third seed. And yeah, I don't that think that's happening. possible with Zach Levine. That like, ain't he's happening. Great, but their ceiling is know. also limited because like they don't play defense. Like there's no defense being played. Yeah, in and Chicago. Vucevic, that's the thing about Vucevic. He provides no rim protection. He's a good defender. He's Pretty, he has a high IQ, but he, he can't really jump, so he's not a rim protector. And when I when you have a rim protector, bro, like your defense improves drastically because it fills holes with guys that can't play D. If they get blown by, your big seven footer can block it. It's why yep. Rudy Gobert has won Defensive Player of the Year so many times, and and that's the biggest thing. Like, and the most like, important thing as a center is that rim protection. Yep, I mean, look at. Again, my Knicks rim protection is key for us. We got we had Mitchell Robinson well, early in the year, and Nerlens Noel has been so key for us. He is he is he's like top five in like a, a few cute few key defensive categories, and that just helps us so much because he's just able to like our defense already is solid, but when when there is those lapses and teams do find their way into the paint, they are sent backpacking because. Yep. Nerlens Noel sends their shots back, and that rim protection is very key. And if you don't have that in the center, then I mean, and they got two guys that are kind of like that with Vucevic and Tice, and it's just like so weird. Chicago's very weird, and I don't know what they're gonna do this off season. It, I'm getting I'm getting vibes that they're gonna throw a bag at Lonzo because they were rumored to want to get him at the deadline, so. I wish them the best of luck in their endeavors to be the the nine the eight nine ten seed for the next three to four years. But <laughs> oh my god, poor poor fans. Yeah, oh I mean that's, that's bad. It is. But I want to just say another thing about the rim protection. Like just having that threat at the rim. Like you'll see so many times where a guard's driving and they're like, "Nah, I'm not doing this." And they'll pass it out or dribble out. Yep, it deters so guys much, away. So many teams need that, bro. Like Portland, if they had a rim protector, they would be like, they would be a contender. But they just haven't been able to get that for so many years, and that's why they are not going to win again. <laughs> yeah. Um. Just some quick, um, NBA news as we wrap up. Lakers Anthony Davis cleared for full court, full on court work. Supposed to be coming back very soon, so that's encouraging for Lakers fans. I know they've they've kind of held the fort down, the Lakers, without AD and LeBron. 
signing um Andre Drummond and Ben McLemore kind of helped them fill in those holes that was needed um offensively. So it, it is it's interesting to see how the Lakers will fully be be how the how the Lakers will be when they are fully healthy because they do have some key pieces to integrate with. I mean, they've integrated Macklemore and Andre Drummond, but they haven't done it with a LeBron and Anthony Davis on the court. So it's going to be very interesting to see how they can fill all that up and then make a run towards the the finals. I think if they get to the finals and the Nets are waiting for them, I do think they give the Nets a run because they play if, if defense. The Lakers are healthy. Um, no one's beating them in the West. In yeah, my I mean, maybe the Clippers. Yeah, when, when they get hot, when they get hot. And like they're clicking on all cylinders, and like you have shooters like if KCP can be on, and if Macklemore is sniping the way he did against Brooklyn, then you got some problems there. Um, James Wiseman to miss the miss miss the rest of the regular season after meniscus surgery. They said the recovery is going to be four to six months, so it's going to be a pretty lengthy um, recovery for him. I mean, the Warriors they just can't get any luck in the injury department every year it seems like they have a new major injury on their roster and it just sucks because james wisen i felt was kind of coming into his own a little bit towards the end of this towards this recent stretch that he was having and it just sucks for him to to miss the rest of the rest of his rookie year um it's gonna be interesting to see how he looks when he comes back and what because I know this offseason would have been so key for him to get like some on court like reps, practice, all that good stuff. So it's gonna be interesting to see what happens there. But um, yeah, I guess anything else to touch on before we we end here. Um. Do you think the Knicks will make the playoffs? Oh yeah, for sure. I think at this point, like the way like Chicago is ten games below five hundred, I think our floor is at least a play-in. I think um, the Knicks can cause some some chaos in the first round. I would love to see them versus the Hawks because I believe they could beat the Hawks. Oh, for um, sure. That's that's been the talk of of of, of the Knicks re, of Knicks Twitter recently. Though. I think they could beat the Celtics too. I really do. We we've uh, caused them some trouble this year too. I think the Celtics would win that series if I were to bet. Um, but oh man, they have no big men. So I don't know. They're, they're a weird team. I think you guys could beat them. Uh, you can't beat the Bucks, obviously. If you somehow match up with the Hornets, I don't even know how that's possible, but that would be good too. I mean, like the bottom of the East is so like close together, so it's like hard to predict who you're gonna play. Yeah, but us Knicks fans, we know who we we want to see in a playoff matchup. We know we you know which series, feet, bro. Yeah, Hawks four or five folksy. would be very key for us right now because if we can if we can match up with the Hawks, I like our chances in that just because. I know there's no one stopping Julius Randle on that team, and I know RJ Barrett has his way whenever we play against them. So they got no defense, bro. I, I like our chances against against the Hawks team. I mean, er, of course, we played them before they fired um, Lloyd Pierce, so things have been sort of different now with Nate, Nate McMillan. Shout out to him; he, he, they've been like sixteen and five since he took over, and I think that's more of just Bogdanovich has been. Rolling Bogdanovich coming back has been key for them. Clint Capella's emergence, he's been dominant down low. Like he's been probably one of like the, he's probably been like a top ten center this year, I'd say. And then just like the structure that um I, I took a glimpse at an article today. They're talking about how the difference in coaching styles can be you can be key for a young team success, like you saw Lloyd Pierce, he gave the Hawks a little bit more freedom, but that wasn't it. They need more structure because they're a younger team. And like my Knicks, David Fisdale had us doing God knows what out there on the basketball court because he, he was in so so much favor of, of freedom. But like you see Thibs has brought like structure and order and discipline to the Knicks, and they're one of the top defensive teams in the league. So I mean And the Sixers. 
Yeah, I mean, just that changing and coaching makes such a huge difference, and I think that's really underrated in the league. It really does. So, yeah, I mean, shout out to Nate McMillan getting the Hawks playing ball like that, but I definitely think my Knicks could take them. Um, yeah, I think that's it. Um, let the people know where they could find you. Um, I'm official romp on Twitter, then romp 2.0 on YouTube. Uh, make NBA content about anything pretty much. So check me out if you want to. Ah, uh, yes. Um, yeah, he also does videos on like he did videos on March Madness, guys. He does videos on NBA draft, all that good stuff. Make sure you check them out. Make sure you check out my links as well in, in the description. I'll have all the links to everything. So make sure you check that out. And we are out of here.